When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. When I tell you that my next guest had, has had a remarkable life in his 50 years so far, I really mean it. That he represented Ireland at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta was incredible, given that he was a real latecomer to athletics, a feat that in a way epitomises a man oozing determination and resilience. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon, Shane Healy. Shane, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Jared, for having me on your show. You're very welcome, and I'm delighted you're with me today. And I want to tell them there is more great news about this man. Congratulations, because you are. Tell them what you are now. Uh, world record holder in the 1500 metres. For 1500 metres indoors. I broke it there two weeks ago. And that's for the 50 age category? Eight, eight, 50 and over, correct. In the world? In the world, yes. Shane, you're some man for one man. Congratulations. Thanks that is lot, some really. achievement. It really is. I want to go right back to, with you to uh, your early, early days because your life story really begins there. You're, you're from Dublin originally. What part of the city? Rap Mines. Uh, we, I, well, I was like a, a, a pinball. I was all over parts of Dublin, like from Sandy Mount to Rap Mines to Halls Cross to Glasnevin. So, yeah, I've had my fair You know the city well. I know every back lane way <laughs> from of your Dublin. Childhood. Correct. In your family, uh, your mum and dad married 1959? Correct. Yeah. And the first child was Aaron. Aaron. Aaron, sorry, a girl, was it? Was it a girl? A little, a little girl. girl. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how many more then came along in the family? There was four more after that, Brian, Lorraine, uh, Lyona and myself. Okay. Mm. But uh, the wee girl, the first girl, it's an important aspect to this story of yours. What happened to her? It is. It was just, it was, my parents were married in 59 and we were living in, the, we were living, parents were living in Holt, I think, at the time. And uh, mother was out getting some sun in the back garden. It was in the summers and daddy came home from work and... Um, he says, look, how is Erin doing? And mother said, oh, she's a fine. She's asleep upstairs, you know. And daddy went upstairs to go see his little daughter. And uh, he picked her up and she was stoned dead. She died from cot death. And uh, kind of, you know, so that kind of, it was kind of, mm. it was kind of just 
it was just so so unfortunate, you know. It was very sad Do you think times. that left its mark on the relationship with your mother and father and the family? Yeah, well, it wasn't a great start, now was it? Mm. You know, it was a, yeah, and look, I don't know. Look, it was traumatic, very very traumatic, and I don't know how it would have put the dent on the relationship. You know? Yes. Okay, so the rest of the children come along. Then are they all born in Dublin as well? Uh, a couple of them were born. One, 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 I think Brian was born in Mullingar or Roscommon, I'm not sure. Mm. There was another one. Uh, Lorraine was born, I think, in Mullingar. Uh, I think I was the only one born in Dublin. I'm okay. not sure, yeah. But the children came along and were in the family unit there. We were, yeah. Now, you were only four years of age. Mm-hmm. And... One morning you wake up. Take up the story. You wake up we were, this morning. I, we, were, we were living in Sandy Mount in Tridentville Road, and um, I was four years old. And there was a huge big argument going on in the house. You know, we were fighting. I guess like a lot of couples fight. You remember you know? this? Yeah. Well, yeah, vaguely, you know. And um, one uh, night the, the, the parents got into an awful fight, and um, the mother was going out the front door, and the rain woke up from the screaming and the fighting and uh, she came downstairs from what I heard any from what I've been told that mother grabbed Lorraine and took Lorraine with her and to this day I haven't seen or heard from them since 1973 and completely just disappeared off the face of the earth and there's many times I've through my athletics probably my prime athletics time in the 1990s I asked for them to come forth in newspaper articles and in interviews and to this day still no joy not a peep about your mum or your sister ever ever not even a postcard or a Christmas card or a happy birthday or no what about your dad what what did he say about this uh, daddy always told me that God bless his soul he's, he's passed away now five years um Daddy always said to me, he says, look, if I knew that more, I was never going to see your mother again or Lorraine, I would have probably looked at things differently and probably stopped her from leaving that night. But who was supposed to know that you'd never see them again? Like, it was just weird. Like, it was crazy. And was she listed, they were listed as missing persons with the authorities? I, I don't know. No, no, I don't think so. No, just look, she knows how to contact us because they got married in Tulskin, Roscommon. And... Um, she knows where all our uncles and aunts live because that's how they met and I have like 13 uncles and aunts in Roscommon and a lot of them have passed on now but over the years they were, all, they were alive and well and she knows how to contact us but she just doesn't want to be contacted if she's still alive today like yeah so she made no contact with them either with no. nobody in the, in the wider family no and the only and my mum was from England well from Irish extraction like her mm. parents they were Kelly same as your last name Jared. but um she was brought up in Huddersfield, York, and she came back or back and forth to the family in Roscommon. And I had one granddaddy over there, one grandfather, and I only knew about him in 89 or 80. I didn't know because we were very distant, you know. And he had passed away in 99. So that was the link to my mother's side. And I had one aunt, her sister, Aunt Helen. And I remember talking to her when I was in college in America briefly because I said, look, I have to make contact and see would Aunt, Aunt Helen know. And she's and I talked to her on the phone from college in America back in 1991. And she said, no, Shane, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I haven't seen or heard from your mother since 1970, since she'd left. And I said, are you really sure you're not just holding back on us, you know? And she says, no, I'm very truthful. And she says, look, I have wonderful photographs of your mother and my growing up. I'll get them to you. So I called and I said, okay. And then just like I was really busy with the athletics thing. And then I called back a year later and I found out that she had passed away from cancer, Aunt Helen. Oh. 
at the age of 51. So she had one daughter called Charlotte. And to this day, I still can't contact Charlotte. It's yeah. a real mystery, isn't it? Do you, do, you, do you suspect your mother is alive or dead or your sister? Do you know something? My, my sister, Lyona, she's a year younger than me, and she has really kind of a sixth sense. She always says to me, look, they're still alive. I can feel it. And um, I feel it too, same too. Like, my mother would be 81 now, 82. And Lorraine would be, she was born in 65, so she'd be 53, 54 mm. this year. So there's every possibility of your mum isn't that your sister is alive. Yeah. You know, and, and who, who knows, people live <laughs> to nearly 100 a day. There's not a day that goes by, like... No matter what happened with my parents, um, my mother brought me into this world as a healthy human being. And I just like to say, look, no matter what happened, I still like to see you if you're out there and to touch you. And that's with you every day, Shane, of your life. Never goes away. No. So if by chance today anybody's listening who might know, what was her name again? Give her a name again. Maureen Kelly. I'm Maureen Agnes Kelly. And my sister's name is... Um, but Maureen Agnes Kelly was a maiden name. Mm. And Maureen Agnes Healy, of course. When she married married name. And your sister? And is Lorraine Healy. Lorraine Healy. Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell with anybody today or when this is podcast, if you're listening to this back, this interview with Shane Kelly, if it does, it would mean so much to this man. My God, you're deeply, deeply affected by it. And I can I can understand why your mum's gone. Your sister walks out. You see them no more. Your dad is left with you and your brother and a sister, is it? Yeah, well, when mum when was, was uh, pregnant with me, she had TB and she spent most of her term in hospital and the three kids were left in Roscommon with the aunt, as they do. But one of the children, Lyona, she stayed with my aunt for most of her life. OK, so she was reared there. She was reared there. And Lorraine, you never seen. Again. Course, and then Brian went with daddy then. Because your dad decided he was going to England to look for work. He was, yeah. He went to Manchester. Yeah. He took the oldest boy, Brian, with him. Aye, Brian, yeah, because he was old enough to look after himself. He would have been 11. What age right. were you at that stage? Four. And where did you go? I went into a home. I went to first home was in Donnybrook. I can't remember the name of it. And then the second home I went into was a Golden Bridge Orphanage. That is an infamous name today. But you know some I don't like it was really it was really hard on a fully grown man like that. That lost love of his life and then like and he, he, he was a bit of a devil for he liked the beers and he had to, and he was a fantastic panel and he went in like and I could understand like it'd be very tough on a a grown man to bring a child and looking for work and and then he had enough responsibility with Brian. You know, I was only four and I was probably a little bit of a wild kid too, you know. So look it's um How long were you in Golden Bridge for? I was in Golden Bridge on and off for um probably two years, two and a half years. How did you find it there? What was your experience? It was tough, Jerry. Like the older kids, like would kind of bully you sometimes. You know, it was, you know, kids would be kids, you know. And um, I remember the time, like we'd be, um, we'd be getting washed, you know, and there'd be little indentation in the floor, and it'd, it'd be like probably about twelve inches deep, eighteen inches deep, and about about eight foot by eight foot, and there'd be about twenty kids, and then they'd be washing you down with the, the so the murky waters, and I remember the the smell of the I don't know that old 
probiotic soap and it was like but that was carbolic soap carbolic I think carbolic soap yeah, yeah. my granny used to have it yeah, I can look, still smell it myself sure, look the, the homes are never easy because you have a little bit of bullyingism and you know and you have the kids fighting with the kids and stuff but look you just got on with it and you stood up for yourself you know you had to you had to at an early age you know you came through and you had hadn't you an aunt called Noreen who used to visit you there Noreen yeah my dad's younger sister Noreen she was a beautician in Switzerland in Grafton Street and she lived in Baggett Street and she used to come and take me out her and her husband to be Stan they used to come out and take me out of the home every second weekend and they, he he loved golf courses so I remember all the golf courses he'd bring me to and stuff and God love and sometimes when Stan wasn't around she would actually bring me into work on a Saturday and I'd be in behind the counter in Switzerland like which is Brown Thomas now and you can imagine like she probably got some serious smack for bringing this four year old kid in but <laughs> knowing it was wonderful she took me out home and she was fantastic with me and then one weekend one weekend she never came uh, Jerry to collect me and I was like what was going on here and I was probably six and a half at the time and uh, seven and I got word that um, she was showering in her apartment in Baggett Street and she was 37 years old and she was due to get married in the next few months to Stan but she had a massive brain hemorrhage and she passed away and that one lovely contact you had yeah because she was the substitute for my mother yes yes she was was all of a sudden gone Shane it was a real tragedy when your aunt Noreen passed away now ironically this brought another change to your life because your dad came home for the funeral he did yep came home for the funeral and he had met another lady called Denise lovely lovely woman and after the funeral she said look let's take your son out of the home and bring us bring him over to England with him. So thank God, yeah, they came and took me out of the home, yeah. So you went to England, spent about a year in there? England, in Manchester, yeah. And then the whole family came back here? Came back here, and we, we moved to Ratmines. You have half-brothers and sisters, how many? Uh, with Denise now, we have five but half-brothers and sisters. I this became a burgeoning family, didn't it? It did, it did, it did. Were they happy times when, when you reunited with your dad in England and here? Oh, of course, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, look, it's, uh, I think it was better than the home. Mm. And look, I had Daddy back and, and Denise, you know, she was like my mother, like she was fantastic, you know. And then as the years went by, she had children of her own, like Mark, that off Mark, Alan, Ben, Aaron, Kim, you know. So. Yes, OK. Mm-hmm. Now, you weren't that fond of school. Is that fair? I was. <laughs> I was, yeah. Daddy um, enrolled me into a school in Rap Mines called Richmond Hill, and this was in '79 or eight, in '78, in 1977 or '78. And I remember the time we were playing in the the courtyard. We were playing football, you know, and you know you had the best scrappers in the school. You had Stephen Whelan, he was like four foot wide, skinhead. Then you had Limo, Elliot Craig, and they were the second best scrappers. But we were playing one time in Dublin in in, in the courtyard, and we were playing football and. The second best scrapper in the school was laying down in the courtyard, just laying there, flat down, looking up to the sky. And we were playing football, and I remember that the, the Hughes' twins, they were playing, one was in goal. So anyway, Lord behold, and one of the Hughes' twins kicked the ball right up into the air, as high as he could, right up, and then the ball comes straight down and landed right on Limo's face. And blood spat, and all you got here. Hey, he got up, and everybody was like, oh, oh, and everybody just... 
pointed to the goalkeeper. <laughs> and I never, and then this guy just went over and just gave him a serious hide. And I said, oh, here, I have to get out of this school. So I decided to go on the Mitch. <laughs> that <laughs> so was it. That ended was, you at school. I said, I said, I'm, going, I'm out of here. I'm out. I, I said, I'm going on the Mitch. And uh, so what I did on the, when I went on the Mitch to keep my days occupied, my next, my next door neighbor, we were living in flat in Rap Mines in Leinster Road. <laughs> in Leinster Road. Um, he had an old him man hunter. It was an estate. And uh, he had it loaded up with Wrangler jeans because I think Wrangler jeans was on the go then but he had a stall in the dandelion market and I used to go in with him and help him sell, sell Wrangler jeans on the stalls in the dandelion market and I always loved the dandelion market because you always got the smell of uh, incense and all the stalls and the people were wonderful there and then other times then when I was on the Mitch to keep myself occupied was I used to steal newspapers from, and I used to sell them at half price to the old age pensioners in the block of flats in Rat Mines and then sometimes if I had papers left over I sell them at the traffic lights you know as you do with surviving you know and um, so anyway one day I was at home and I was eating my dinner and uh, I, the elder got a, a call from the uh, school and she said oh Mr Healy uh, Shane hasn't been in attendance and the elder probably just called oh he's on the Mitch again so he covered me fair play to me you know he goes oh he's sick and they said god he must be really sick because he hasn't been in attendance for the last few months <laughs> so <laughs> so when daddy came home that night and he said how, how was your school I said oh it was brilliant and I got such a wallop across the head and he goes Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. You haven't been in school in two or three months. And I said, I know that. I don't like the school. I just don't like the school you sent me to. And blah, blah. But then he enrolled me into another school, Clever Road in Hall's Cross. And I absolutely loved that school. It was amazing, like, her difference the in difference. schools. And, and did you finish out your education? I did. I finished my, I finished primary. I went to sixth class. And then we moved then over to Platonic Avenue in Glasnevin. And I went to school there, Plunkett's, for one year. 
and I didn't like it either. I just wasn't into education at the time. And so really you dropped out. I and dropped and out. You didn't finish your schooling. But Did tell I? me about this. When you were 18, you met a couple called Ryan and Sherry Roberts in the headline bar in Harold's Cross. In Harold's Cross, yeah. Why was that significant? Well, I was working as an apprentice bartender and... They said they were from Florida. I met them at the bar, and I said, "Oh, I love America because I remember the kids when I, I remember the kids' programs. I used to watch Chips and the Charlie's Angels and the Six Million Dollar Man." I said, "I want to go to America someday. I promised myself I'll go." And they said, "Well, look, if you ever come to Florida, there's an invitation open for you." And I saw them in August '86, and then uh, t- two months later, yeah, two months later. I got the, the flight to America then and two months later. And you took up their invitation? I did. And the, and the, the thing about this was um, how I got the money for the ticket was um, in 1983, I was hit off my bicycle in Junkandra, rolled over by a car. And then four years later, I got 1,500 quid or two grand for my claim and that helped pay for the ticket to America. So it was awesome. It was expensive to get out there in those it days. It, it really was. was. Yeah. So you go to the States and uh, you meet this couple there mm-hmm. and you make your way around America for how long, how long were you in the States before? Because you did come back, didn't you? I, I, I was in. I made my way around America for three, three and a half years working in Hawaii, hitchhiked, hitchhiked across America. Didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, just staying in homeless shelters in LA, San Francisco. Then I flew out to Hawaii, worked as a waiter for a couple of years and then came back to California and then I bought a little camper and then back over to Florida and this was in 89 summer and I said look I haven't been home in a good while so I flew back to Ireland and then I see nothing had changed from 86 and this was in the summer of 89 so in I think it was September October I decided to leave Ireland so I flew to London and then I went down to the south of London south of England got the hovercraft across to France and then that's where I started hitchhiking from down to France down to Spain and then I ended up in Gibraltar and you were on Ships or boats or yeah, on the sea, were you? Well, I was working on the catchments in Gibraltar. Um, tough work was I was what I was doing was putting pouring cement to, and they were putting up big nets to stop the rocks from hitting the motorists from falling down off the cliffs. And I was up on the ledge one time and I seen all these yachts in the, in the marina. And I said to my friend, I was working, Where are all these yachts coming from? Where are they all going? Like, and he says, Oh, they're all coming in from the Mediterranean from the summer and they're all doing going to be going to the Caribbean for the winter. And I said, Oh my god, this is a great chance for me to get off this rock this forbidden place and uh, so I, I quit my job I just I just quit on the spur of the moment I said no I'm going to go and he said what do I ask for a job and he says look ask as a deckhand because he had a little bit of sailing experience and I said okay I'm going to ask for a deckhand job okay so that afternoon I went down and started knocking on all the boats the hulls in the marina and the first day no luck and all the boats are identified by the flags so anyway the next day I knocked on the ball and I and it was a French flag and the captain came up yes bonjour and I said excuse me do you need any deckhand help and he says where are you from I said I'm from Ireland and he says Ireland oh you Irish are a bunch of drunks you like to drink too much I said look sir I don't even drink I don't drink alcohol and he says well come back to me tomorrow so I came back to him tomorrow the next day and he says okay we're going to be setting voyage from Gibraltar to the Canaries seven six six or seven day voyage he says and then we see how we go from there and that was it and that was it yeah I you say, worked on that particular boat I, put, I worked on that it was a 60 foot swan beautiful yacht and the reason why I was going to the Canaries and then when we got to the Canaries he says look Shane you're doing a good job and my job was to keep watch at night time for super tankers mm. and then just kick back during the daytime and help and 
know, just enjoy yourself. And there was a couple of stewardesses from Sweden. There was the captain, and then there was the cook, and it was really, it was a great vibe. You know, it was brilliant. And how did you end up back then in the states? Well. When I got to the Canaries, the captain said, look, do you want to stay in the Canaries or do you want to go to the Caribbean? We're going to go to Guadeloupe. And I said, well, you're not going to leave me here in the Canaries. So we sailed across the Atlantic Ocean to, to, to Guadeloupe. And the reason why the yacht was going to Guadeloupe was to promote industry for two years and they wouldn't have to pay them taxes on the million dollar yacht. So I worked up and down the Caribbean working on sailing yachts. That's what I did for the year, yeah. And then ultimately back to America. I go. I got a job to deliver a boat up with some other people to Nova Scotia, Canada. Okay. And we dropped the boat there, and I said I finished with sailing. And then I hitchhiked across Canada by myself, and I sneaked across the border in Vancouver down, and I hitchhiked down through uh, Washington, down through Oregon, down to California because I had a little bit of history with California. I'd been there before, and I bought a Volkswagen camper for a thousand dollars, and I lived in my Volkswagen camper, and I had some paperwork from being in California before, so I could get in-state residency. You know, because I kind of, uh, you know, I got a social security card, and I enrolled in the community college, which was only fifty fifty dollars for a semester. And while I was enrolled in the community college, I got talking to the black sprinters. It was mainly a black and Asian college, and they were saying to the coach, "Hey, coach, is that crazy Irishman that lives in his camper that people are talking about? He's living on his in his Volkswagen camper," and he said. Hey, you look like Eamon Coughlin, Marcus O'Sullivan, because Eamon and Marcus were world record holders at that time, indoors. And he says, why don't you come out and run a mile for me? You look like you have the ability. I said, I'm not going to run a mile. I'm, I, need, I need to find work money for food. And he said, I tell you what, I'll give you $50 if you run a mile for me. And I said, you're going to give me $50 to run a mile. So show me the $50. So he showed me the $50. So I, so I snatched the $50 and I went out onto the track. And I thought for some reason it was three laps to a mile. But it actually turned out to be four, and I didn't pace myself properly. But I was quite sprinting in after three laps, and he said, "No, no, yeah, one more, don't slow down." And that day, Jerry, I had found the American dream. I had found something that was exciting to me, and I ran a 4:32 mile without any training. You had never run before. Never ran before, Shane. So you run that first mile for fifty dollars. How long did it take you to break the four minute? Uh, I ran a four-minute mile the following year. A couple of years later, I ran the sub-four-minute mile in Cork, 3.58. Incredible for somebody. What age were you when you took it up? 22, was it? 22 years old. Never ran before? Never ran before. Now, another significant name in your life story is a guy called Joe Vihill. This is a famous man, isn't he? He is, yeah. He's the 1984 and 88 US Olympic distance coach. And I seen one of his athletes, Danny Mass, running at the Fresno Relays. And he ran a 4-1 mile at the end of the relay, bringing them home as champions. And at that time, I was running 4-17 for the mile. And I asked Danny, I said, where's Adam State? I want to go to Adam State. You know, I seen your 4-1 mile. It was like a god to me, you know. And this man nearly breaking four minutes to a mile. And he says, look, contact my coach, Dr. Joe Vigil. He's in Adam State and he's the US Olympic coach. So I called up Coach V and said, Coach, I want to come to your college and run. He says, son, all kids want to come. Why have you ran for the mile? I said, look, I've only been running a few months, but I'm down to 4.17 for the mile. I made the California State Championship. Just, uh, this she says, no, no, we do that six times a mile in training. He says, you're not good enough. I said, look, Coach, I'm hungry. I really want to run for your school. And then after convincing him over the week or so, he said, look, send out your transcripts. And I sent out the transcripts. And lo and behold, they accepted me into Adam State. And so I sold up the Volkswagen camper for what it was worth. And I hitchhiked from San Francisco to Alamosa, Colorado. And I remember the time when I got to Alamosa, the person that when I got the lift off, he dropped me off at the bowling alley. And I called up coach. I said, coach, I'm here in Alamosa. 
And he says, where are you at the airport? I said, no, I'm at the bowling alley. He says, son, I think you picked me up wrong. We don't give scholarships for bowling. I said, no, coach. I mean, I, the person that dropped me off was from Hitchhike. And he says, but see, that's why he knew he, he knew he had someone special. Mm-hmm. He knew he had this kid that no other kid was going to hitchhike 1,200 miles to go to his college. And that's where the relationship really sprung. And then within a year, I ran 4-1 for the mile. And then I set national indoor records in the NC2As. And then the final year, then I... Uh, uh, won nationals in cross country in the NC2As which is very rare for a middle distance runner because that's a long distance event and I was Coach Vigil's last national champion before he retired in 93-94 Marvellous marvellous yeah. story How did you come to run in the Olympic Games in 96 for Ireland? Well I, I came home to Ireland in the summer I, I wasn't getting no support in America I was, I was actually homeless in 95 for a few months in America in Colorado I was actually staying in the back of a friend's pickup truck with one of them canopies over it, Shannon Butler. And I said, no, I have to get better support, better. I had to go home. So I went home and I represented Ireland in a couple of the European meets. And in in, Oct- in October, Frank Greeley of the Irish runner, he uh, got me £500 to fly to Australia and try and get the Olympic A standard in the 5,000. But when I got to Australia, I ran a couple of races, but I came down with Salmonella. And I was really, really sick. And I remember being in the uh, the hostel there, just feeling sorry for myself and just no energies. It was a bad dose I got. So I came back to Ireland. It was actually my first time home in Ireland for 10 years for Christmas. And uh, I came back with my tail between my ass. I said, oh, my God, I've only got six months to the Olympic Games. And John Tracy did a piece on me in the Irish Runner. And that's when one of the Pat Kenny's researchers picked up on it. And he had me on the radio show. And that's when things started to the lease of life and on New Year's Day I met Eamon Coughlin for the second time because I met him before that in New York um, I asked Eamon says look you ran really well running 339 in the summer of 95 I said yeah Eamon but I'm finished college and I just don't know how to get to that next level you know to get to the 336s or 337s and he says look Shane if you do exactly what I say don't question what I do I will coach you for the Olympic Games and this was just six months to the Olympic Games so I went out and did just road work for a few months to get over to Salmonella and then charged into the athlete, into training on the track and then in May in June um, I was under serious pressure because I was on the Pack Kenny Live and I said oh my god I got a little bit of sponsorship from the Pack Kenny Live show and I said okay I said, I'm going to do something and I better do it because I'm usually the man of my word. And it came down to the last few weeks and I had ran three or four races in Europe and I kept on running 340, 357 for the mile, 356. And I, wa- and I was just missing the A standard by one and a half seconds. And it came down to like the two weeks to cut off the Olympics. And I was just, oh no, serious. And I was in, I ran four races in like two weeks in four different countries. So I was starting to get tired. And I said, oh, my God, is this in vain? And then I came back from a, a, a race in Slovenia or in Estonia. And I got into the Frank Greeley's Irish Runner magazine at the office in Hall's Cross. And it was on the Monday. I only got in that morning. And I was looking at meets desperate. And I seen this meet on Wednesday night in Madrid. And I called the meeting director up from the Frank's office. And I said, sir, can I run your 1500? And he said, no, no, we have Firmin Cacho, the Olympic champion running there. The field is full. I called that man, Jerry, five times that day in that office and I hounded him. I said, please, sir, let me, is this, is this the crazy eyes? I said, yes, sir, I need to get into your race. And he says, okay, look, if you make your own way, you fly out. So I flew out the next morning on a Tuesday morning 
and I was really, really tired. I got to Madrid and he said he picked me up at the airport. I was coming in on the plane and the captain said, oh, Madrid, welcome to Madrid. It's 40 degrees Celsius. And I was like, oh, God. And then he said, it's altitude, 3,000 feet. I said, oh, my God, I didn't pick a good place to qualify here to run the fastest race of my life. So that evening, I said I lay down for an hour and then go for dinner. But I slept right through. I was just exhausted. Then the next day, I got up for breakfast. And I said, oh, my God, I missed my meal last night as well. So that evening, the race was on. And I went to the stadium, went out there, and I had ran 3.39 for the 1500. The Olympic A standard was 3.38.00. And I said, please don't let the clock stop on 3.38.01 because you don't qualify. Because two people already had the Olympic A standard, Marcus O'Sullivan and Niall Bruton. And I'm a big believer in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. There's three golden tickets because three can go for each country. And there was one more golden ticket. And I said, that ticket, I have to get that golden ticket. So the race started off and catch you and stuff. And to make a long story short, I ran the race of my life. I ran 3.36. Point six five, <laughs> and I was like, I qualified for you the Olympics. Got it. Just, the, uh, just, just in just, the nick just. of time, and I was just chuffed. It was happiest day. Well, do you know what the nick of time is going to be though shortly. But take us on when you went to the Olympics in Atlanta and you ran there and you qualified through. You just didn't make the final, but you went mighty close. I made it to the semi-final. Yes. And I missed the final by just a few places. Yeah, well, look, the, the, the heat of Atlanta. But mm. look, I was top 15 or 18 in the world that day. Um, it was, I think it was a phenomenal achievement. What did that mean? It was fantastic to run for my country. Mm. <sighs> just to, to, to At an Olympic Games. And the Olympic Games. And to know something, to watch Michael Johnson, because I was coming out for the, the heat, the, the semi-final of the 1500, and there was Michael Johnson coming around in his gold spikes. Now, you have to be serious. Like, wearing gold spikes. <laughs> Him breaking the 400-meter world record. It was a 200-meter world record, breaking that record in front mm. of me. And I'm going... Oh, don't screw up here now because there was 90,000 people in that stadium and the, the reverberating of the crowd noise went right through your chest. It was a phenomenal experience. And do you know something? I like to get the message out there to young kids. If you have a dream and you, God has given you a God-gifted talent, don't let it go to waste. Stay away from antisocial behavior. Don't listen to negative people in your life. Get out and chase your dreams. Never, ever give up. You chase them, you achieve them, and you know, I have to say, you're one of the most remarkable people I've ever spoken to about their lives. I do hope that your mother and your sister coming back to this, someday, please, complete the circle of life for this man. If you're listening, if anybody knows of their whereabouts, do get in touch. Any little bit of information, you never know, may unlock a door here. I want to say congratulations on being 1,500 metre world record holder, and good luck, you're heading to Poland too. Yeah, for the World Indoor Championships at uh, the end of March. Yeah, I'm running the World Cross Country for Ireland. And then I'm, a few days later, I'm running the 8 and 15. So it's a tough, tough schedule for me for that week. Yeah, definitely. But I run with pride and run for my country with pride. Absolutely. We know you will. Shane Healy, the last while on Late Lunch. It's been my pleasure. Thank, Thank you for you. joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Jerry.